I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Joseph Jaffe. He's a multiple author, serial entrepreneur, a sought-after consultant, speaker, and thought leader on marketing, innovation, and change. And today we talk about his latest book, Built to Suck, The Inevitable Demise of the Corporation and How to Save It, question mark. <laughs> so today we have a, a, a quite a wide-ranging conversation about the principles of how corporations are driving towards suckage, so to speak, and how to prevent it and examples as we go. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Joseph Jaffe. Well, Joseph, welcome to the show. I am really glad uh, to be on a marketing podcast. I love all of the marketing podcasts that are out there, especially this one. And, um, you know, it's just, it's great to talk marketing. Yeah. Well, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think you're somebody I've actually followed for a, a good part of your career way back uh, when you had Crayon, um, and I can't remember, you had a co-conspirator at that point in time, um, but I was following him as well. Um, so yeah. anyway. Maybe it was uh, someone like C.C. Chapman or there was Shell Neville. We we actually, uh, yes. when we la- yeah, when we launched the business, we had a little bit of a monopoly on thought leadership in the, uh, certainly in the nascent podcasting days, but also marketing and PR. Yeah, we had a lot right. of fun. Yeah, no, I, it was some interesting work you guys were doing. So, well, let's let's start with your background and your career. Um, where where did you start, and and how did you get to the HMS Beagle? And and I, I want to know about the name as as well. But I'll I'll start with where did you start? <laughs> well, I I'm from. Uh, I mean, the 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 old joke is that this is not a Staten Island accent, which I'm sure you figured <laughs> out by now. Um, so I'm I'm from South Africa originally. I studied marketing. I majored, uh, double majored in marketing, and uh, actually maybe even triple majored marketing, marketing research, and, and business st- uh, statistics uh, mm-hmm. at the University of Cape Town. But I got a job working for a, um, uh, a funky. Uh, fast food company, more, I suppose we would have called it then a QSR, a quick service restaurant called Nando's Chickenland. And the way I describe them is kind of uh, Starbucks meets subservient chicken on crack. 
So, you know, you had a premium priced experiential brand really known for great service and customer experience with incredibly provocative, irreverent and and identity, I would say kind of identity strong uh, marketing communications. And why I say identity strong is, you know, most companies don't know who they are. They have no spine, no backbone. They're searching for purpose and they blow whichever way the wind blows as opposed to standing for something and being secure you know, in who they were. As a, as a case in point, Nando's, which was flame-grilled, butterfly-cut, spicy, or peri-peri chicken, um, they would say things like their customer service poster would say, did we make a cluck up? <laughs> or, um, you know, they even had a line when you went in that said, our quality is remembered long after the wait is forgotten. So they were really able to kind of uh, embrace who they were. Um, so fast forward, I worked there for about five years, came to the US 22 years ago, I worked for a number of Madison Avenue agencies, although I say don't hold that against me, um, but I was able to escape. And uh, and I've been consulting now since 2002. In that course, I've written five books and started three companies. Uh, so first being Crayon, second being Evolution. And in keeping with the theme, I started HMS Beagle about a year ago with the former CEO of J. Walter Thompson, Lynn Power. And... The name comes from uh, a ship which sailed 200 years ago uh, from the UK to the Galapagos Islands carrying one Charles Darwin. And so the theme of evolution, uh, you know, sustained, but more importantly, Darwin said, it's not the strongest of species that survives nor the most intelligent, but rather the one that is the most adaptable to change. And I really think that that has become the common theme. You know, when we talk about digital and we talk about social and we talk about innovation and startups, at the end of the day, if you had to try and find one common thread and line that that runs right through it, it would be the the ability um, to change and to adapt and therefore to evolve. And that is really what separates the winners from the losers. And so what the HMS Beagle is, uh, our mission is to help our clients navigate this journey to survival because we believe everyone, and I mean everyone, is in the survival business nowadays. So that's kind of the career, you know, this the squiggly line uh, that led me to to here. Well, I love this. I love the source of the name for for one, the ship that carried Darwin. I I guess I should also say congrats on the latest book, Built to Suck. And Thank you. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about why this book and and why now. Every book that I've written, I think, is almost like another chapter of a bigger story. There are common themes throughout the books as well, which is, again, change, um, creativity, innovation, and, and optimization. So from life after the 30 seconds part, it was, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, moving money from television, radio, and print to digital, enjoying the conversation, moving money from communication to conversation, Flip the Funnel from Acquisition to Retention, Zero, which I co-authored with uh, Martin Alboda, who was my former InBev client and, and Coke client, was about really moving money from, from paid media uh, to no media. And, and, then, you know, and then comes Built to Suck. And, and you know what? I, I thought of a whole bunch of other ideas. I wanted to really focus on startups. I, I wanted to focus on shopper marketing because I just felt like at the end of the day, everything, out, everything around that moment of truth is kind of BS, um, except for the moment when, when a shopper walks into a store and chooses uh, a product or a brand. But, but I think with, with the four books that came you know, before this one, in some cases, I was almost too far ahead. I was ahead in a bad way. It's not a compliment. It's an insult. <laughs> you know, I, I, was, I was a little too far ahead. When, when I wrote Life After the 30-Second Spot, I identified 10 bold approaches one of them was consumer-generated content. One of them was what I called communal marketing, which actually became known as social media. I think the point about that is in 2004, Facebook and YouTube didn't exist yet. So uh, Nick Bryan uh, once said to me, and, and he runs now um, Dentsu, he said, there are two types of people, pioneers and settlers. The pioneers get shot and the settlers take the land. And then he called me a pioneer. And I was like, Thanks, I think, you know. So, so Built to Suck, I think, is, a, is an idea and a message whose time has come. I think I'm in the, in the exact right place 
at the right time. And it is a, it is a warning. It, it is a warning and a challenge to, to corporations that the corporate era, era is coming to an end, coming to a close. That, you know, if companies were a civilization, like every other civilization that has come before it, it has risen and it has fallen. And it generally fell on the basis of complacency, hubris, inability to change, adapt, evolve. So I felt like I needed to write this book because I'm a marketer. Uh, I believe in marketing. I believe in the power of creativity and innovation, but we're not seeing it at any level for the most part from any company or brand or any industry. And, and there's a bigger point as well. Even the best, you know, we've heard things like Lee Clow would say, the problem is not bad, the problem is not advertising, it's bad advertising. Mm. And I don't agree with that statement at all because when there's so much crap around you, the good advertising can't survive, can't break through because there's just too much noise. Mm. So there is a bigger and a pressing challenge. And the challenge is the failing of corporations, of business models and revenue streams. So, you know, the two points that I would kind of like conclude with is, number one, marketing has to get better and really, really better, really fast. And number two is even with marketing just outperforming itself, it still may, may not be enough for the corporation. So I'll kind of let leave that hanging there and I'm sure we'll come back to that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I, on the show, we've had a, across a number of different guests on from from people like Phil Kotler to Seth Godin late last year. Um, and it's come up in other, other conversations as well, but this notion of, um, what you hit on a little bit about, um, you know, societies and, and, um, structures failing over time. Right. And I think with Kotler and with, uh, Godin, we hit on democracy and, uh, and capitalism as, um, having some tarnish on them and maybe some chinks in the system. And, and I think as a result of that, obviously, we've also talked about with other guests on um, uh, some good folks like uh, Bob Hoffman and Mark Ritson about the feedback loops of to corporations and how corporations have gotten so big that they're just not listening anymore and, and adapting to your point. And I, I think this is a great conversation to have about, I know we're going to get into it and, and talk about not only the flaws, but also um, some of the areas that you identify that, that can help. So one of the things, the premise, I guess the original premise you start out the book is, is talking about the size of a, a corporation in itself and that it is a strength. These are my words, by the way, but it's a strength until it's a weakness. And I'm curious if that's, if this is true in all categories that you've thought about. So I'm trying to think of where is a good place. I want to go back a little bit yeah. um, to, to what you were saying as well, because I, I'm actually, uh, I've also been very uh, impressed with this common thread right now, which are um, uh, not just marketing leaders, but, but business leaders rallying against, not rallying against capitalism, but recognizing that capitalism itself needs to evolve. And it's yeah. very, very uh, pertinent and relevant right now, coming into mm -hmm. what will be yet another historic U.S. election, where one side is being painted as being uh, as socialist, and it's it's just a positioning exercise at the end of the day. I mean, I find the marketing of politics, by the way, beyond fascinating. But this need that actually says we need to actually evolve the business, our very business model. I'm sure, you know, everybody has seen this until the cows come home, that quote that says, you know, Uber, the world's largest transportation company, owns no vehicles, Airbnb, the world's largest accommodation provider, owns no rooms, you know, yada, yada, yada. And, um, and at the time, it was a, it, it, it really kind of connected with people because none of these businesses actually had big physical, durable products. They were all dealing in, in intangibles where actually their customers were the product. And that contrasts so starkly with all of these other companies, with all of these resources and, and overhead. The overhead has become, I mean, overhead in, in of itself has become this 
cement block that is kind of dragging us down to the bottom of the ocean. So I love the conversation because it, it's certainly consistent with what, what we've been talking about even up until now, which is this idea of change and evolution and adaptation. But it also talks about a soul uh, and, and, and conscience. And I was really uh, fascinated by uh, a company, I still am, uh, there's a company which I'm sure you've heard of called Brandless. And mm. Brandless sells one product per SKU, essentially, whether it's toothpaste, whether it's detergent, you know, uh, whether it's coffee, uh, and it charges $3 per, skew, per product. And the reason it actually says, how can, you know, one of the FAQs, how can we charge $3 per product regardless? And, and they talk about by eliminating the brand tax, the tax associated with marketing, advertising, branding, the very nature of what it is to actually, you know, we were all taught if you brand well, you know, even in Kotler's textbook, right. if you brand well and do your jobs really well, you can command a premium for your product mm-hmm. because of that brand equity that now offers people, you know, some reassurance or or consistency of quality, et cetera, et cetera, buying into the same experience. So, so the essence of the hypothesis here is that you know, to, to kind of reframe what you just said, or not reframe, but just kind of paraphrase it. The very thing that helped these companies grow, which was size, scale, economies of scale, efficiencies and cost efficiencies of having a global footprint and global network and all of these resources, which could then be shared and, and synchronized uh, and synergized is now the very thing that is, that is, that is the albatross around its neck. Because these corporations are too big, too slow, too siloed, too political, too dysfunctional, and they've essentially lost their competitive edge. And for all those reasons, um, how on earth would you expect one of those large legacy companies to survive and thrive when they're existing right now during what I call the fifth industrial revolution, the entrepreneurial revolution, the rise of DTC? Mm. Um, we're not seeing any indicators that suggest that any of this will be a fly-by-night or a fad. And by the way, there was another reason why I even wanted to write this book, because I didn't want this to be about techno- a technology or even technology itself. Mm. I wanted to elevate it to say, listen, if the corporation dies, then everybody dies with it, including the CMO, including marketing, including all the agencies. So unless we all recognize that we're all in this together, we will go down with the ship or like the rats we are, we'll be the first to <laughs> lead the sinking ship. Right, right. No, that's very true. That's very true. Oh, and just to put an extra fine point on this notion, um, you know, we've talked about marketers, you, you know, we are marketers. I think you would say that you're a marketer as well, at least in some part. And um uh, and we've had these other folks on the on this show, but to to underline it, I mean, one of the world's most successful financiers and monitor of the markets, Ray Dalio, has been talking about this notion as well, and the the, fundal, the fundamental flaws that we may need to fix in our society, and the capitalism being one of them, um, and especially in in the U.S. for sure. Yeah, and and you know, I had this amazing conversation with with Philip Kotler as well. Mm. Yeah, and he was very kind to you know to he read the book he endorsed it. Uh, I haven't released that interview yet. I just haven't had time. But one of the best parts of this conversation was, I said, you know, you you know you your four P's and also segmenting, targeting, positioning. I've kind of tried to like turn them all on their head and and reinvent them or or kind of uh, you know or take them to the next level. And rather than saying how dare you, you little piece of you know <laughs> son of he he turned around and said good he said it's about time somebody took what i created and and ran with it and turned it into something better and and what struck me with this brilliant brilliant man who is a role model and a mentor is he is still learning and changing and evolving but yeah. I, I i just loved this whole focus on this idea that says capitalism itself and by the way this whole this whole conversation is not necessarily about corporate citizenship, which is one of the four pillars, which I know we'll get to. But I think it demonstrates that if we want to be strategic planners 
And if we truly want to reinvent and reinvigorate marketing, a marketing renaissance, we have to be business subject matter experts too. We have to plug ourselves into the very longevity uh, and and growth engine of corporations and and not just talk about clicks and not just talk about quarterly earnings and not just talk about this thing called ROI, which really is not even, that's another rant I could go on and I won't, but it should be called (laughs) ROE, return on expenses, because our marketing budget is nothing more and looked at nothing more as an expense. So if we can elevate all of this to the board, you know, or at a boardroom level, that's where we start to kind of turn lead into gold. I like it. Well, we've been talking a little bit about size and a number of other areas. You also lay out age, the nature of public ownership and culture as other drivers of what creates built to suck. Can you just describe what you mean by the age, public ownership and culture? Yeah, so the first thing is, you know, we've established this idea, you know, Jay Scheidt once said, let's see how big we get before we suck, which was the inspiration. Companies are not built to last, Jim Collins, but built to suck. But then a lot of people, as I was writing the book, they started saying, well, what about Facebook? What about Google? What about Amazon? Do they suck? Mm -hmm. Uh, And my answer was twofold. Uh, One, no, uh, but they will. If they don't now, uh, they will. And two is Facebook already sucks. So I almost drew a line, a very arbitrary, subjective line, which I thought was kind of appropriate at the millennial, the cutoff at the millennial, the birth of the millennial generation, 1980. So any company born after 1980 has a stay of execution. But, you know, jumping all the way, uh, and I know we'll cover this too, when, when Jeff Bezos, when Amazon yeah. awarded their two headquarters, he called an all-hands meeting and he said to every one of his employees, one day we will uh, fail. One day we, we will go out of business and your job is to delay that for as long as possible. So, so age is a factor. And if you think about it, you, know, you go into the, the boardrooms of these legacy corporations that are older than 100 years and you see this big mahogany boardroom table and you see uh, a beautiful massive oil painting of an old dead white guy with, with a gold plaque, and then you see their mission statement to be the leaders and for 120 proud years. And, and you just see that they're living in the past. Right. And so, so that's age. The third one is being a public company. I mean, that is the kiss of death. That's why Eric Reynolds, who's at Clorox, he said that corporations suffer from short termitis. I call it a CTD, which is a corporate transmitted disease. And it's chronic, <laughs> unfortunately. The minute that you are beholden to uh, a bunch of outsider money-loving and money-grubbing shareholders, uh, you're not in control of your own fate anymore. And, you know, I kind of posit that that's why Elon Musk had a bit of a nervous breakdown wanting to take his company private again because right. nobody likes to be told what to do, especially if you're a visionary. And then the fourth one is culture because, you know, it is, it's, it's just apparent that if the company culture does not embrace change and failure and risk and collaboration and 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 collective consciousness, etc. All of this change is just going to be short-lived and nothing more than lip service or superficial. So these are what I call the four horsemen of the corporate apocalypse. And um, you know, and if you go to any large company, they're going to be zero for four or four for four, depending on how you want to look at it. But with 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 all of these horsemen approaching. I'm not really sure how a corporation is going to be able to withstand the rate and the nature of of disruption and and demise. Yeah, well, it wasn't. You mentioned this already, but the Bezos Day One philosophy. I had not seen that until I was reading the book, and it made me like kind of take a step back because I was like, "Wow, what what?" Uh, it hit me at, at first. One, you know, your book is is largely in line with some of those some of those themes. But I was curious, I mean, I mean, we don't have Bezos on here today, but maybe we can get him. <laughs> um, what foresight, I guess, for somebody that's starting a company or that has started a company and have a highly successful one from all intents and purposes from the outside looking in, to have that kind of day one philosophy. How did that shape so, your you approach know, the, to the this The funny book? thing is, and... Uh, 
I, I can only say, please believe me when I tell you this is true. I only discovered, yeah. first of all, the quote. I mean, that, that I can prove yeah. because it literally came out about two or three weeks before the book went to print. And I scrambled to incorporate it because I felt like <laughs> the ultimate validation for this book, if I even needed it, which I didn't, was that quote. But a, right. another thing that I found out is in this famous day one memo to shareholders, he also spoke about custom obsession. He used the phrase custom obsession. And another thing where I have to tell you, just take my word for it, when I created custom obsession as one of the pillars, I actually didn't know where the term had been used before. So it was like, for me, also right. validation to see that, that Jeff Bezos, who truly, truly is a visionary, uh, you know, kind of using this term. So from day one, they were focused on this. He somehow, maybe he's a time traveler and he read this book. I don't know. No, but, but he clearly understood right. that a corporation, no matter how big they got, had to, kind, had to never forget where they come from, always embrace their roots, those humble beginnings. Mm -hmm. For him, he represented it through this notion of day one. The minute, the moment it becomes day two in your organization, you're already on the downward decline or, or death spiral. And also custom obsession. Remember, it was Jeff Bezos who did something that I wrote about probably in book number two, which was he cut his television spend to zero and, and, his, and the quote was, I'm taking this money and I'm going to invest it in my customers in the form of free shipping. So free shipping becomes what I call their, the Amazon moments. And when I'm doing workshops or, or with marketers, I always say to them, what is your Amazon moment? What is your defining moment that you own, that only you could own, that you were first, that really set you apart? And it was free shipping especially coming from television advertising that set Amazon apart and started their kind of hockey stick growth curve. Today, Amazon has uh, evolved significantly. And I think Amazon Prime represents probably that next more modern Amazon moment. Maybe this company will come up with one of them per decade because we've certainly seen that uh, tra trajectory. So, it's it's really interesting, and I'm glad you brought it up. When you look at when you look at Amazon to see he got it from day one, and it wasn't just a press release. Right, right. Well, and we've all you know we've all seen the his ability, I guess, over time to you know counteract the public ownership piece by managing that I'm going to continue to lose money, <laughs> and investors. Frankly, I, I guess he conditioned them well enough that they just left him alone as it related to that. And the stock continued to go up. So, I mean, he, he kind of thwarted that first public ownership threat. And then the, on the culture piece, you know, one of the things I, I think this is attributed to him, or at least to Amazon, the they have the uh, the meeting rule, these anecdotes of never have a meeting larger than you can serve one, I think it's maybe one or two pizzas to feed everyone that's in the room. So you know, just in terms of you know, continuing to be able to do things at speed or at at scale, and to 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 not get bogged down in the minutia of of big company. For sure. You know, thank you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I was thinking as you were saying that losing money is the enemy, or at least the uh, the foil of short term ROI, at least based right. on quarterly earnings, and and it really is that simple. You know, a business leader, visionary. That can say to their, you know, think about those two. They are diametrically opposed. And think about all the marketers that are uh, stuck in that kind of black hole that is short-term ROI versus you can probably count them on one hand that have said, stay the course. This is what we're doing. This is what we're building. This is the journey we're undertaking. You know, and if you believe in me and trust in me and trust in this vision, we'll get there. The, the other thing that's interesting is, you know, one thing that also came out of um, – I saw Ray Dalio's uh, interview on uh, uh, 60 Minutes. 60 Minutes, is, is yeah. They yeah. also had a different – meeting culture is such an important part, right? So, so they do these live evaluations of people, um, which I was yes. listening. And so I think it's – you know, that, that's another – it's almost like a, um, a non-scientific litmus test. It's directional, right. right? Which is 
Look at the way that your corporation holds meetings. Are there meetings for the sake of meetings? Is the commitment objective of a meeting to get another meeting or do you walk, walk out with real tangible uh, next steps and action items? Are there people sitting in those meetings that are, and I'll try and be kind about it, but what I would call oxygen invaders, you know, like <laughs> if people aren't talking and contributing, why the hell are they in that meeting in the first place? Right. You know, so, so I think that that is a great element within that category of culture that you brought up that, that again, it's not scientific or statistically representative, but I'll bet you companies that struggle with meetings are probably more likely than not suck. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I'll just add one more thing on the Ray Dalio. I don't know if you've read his book. Uh, well, the first type book, I guess. Uh, I think there's a second one coming. I'm not sure if it's out yet. Uh, called Principles, but it is a it's a it's a large book. <laughs> so I warn people. But uh, in that, you, the meetings you describe, and he has you probably saw as well in the 60 Minutes episode. Uh, what they call the dot collector, which is the the real time feedback of everyone in the meeting. Yeah. And the thing I loved about what they, how they use that data was it became a believa, what he calls a believability weighted index. So not, not everyone's opinion in the room matters. It only matters based on how successful and truthful they've been over time. And that's how they start to weight their decisions. You could think, think about a C-suite. I mean, you, we've both been consultants and probably been you know, around a number of C-suite folks. Just think if we could like do a believability weighted <laughs> decision in a boardroom. Uh, I think we might have a lot of different decisions um, from time to time. And 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 I'll just kind of just um, just put a little cherry on top, which is yeah. we've seen so many industries and business models and uh, disrupted specifically through technology and uh, and startups. Um, yeah. Surely, surely we're going to see someone doing that. For things like meetings, um, yeah. or create or creating a new solution and selling that through to corporations, um, whether it's just a philosophy or, or it's technology based, and 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 that's a very rhetorical uh, statement because there are companies doing that. Uh, Evolution, my previous company, did did quite a bit of work with Steelcase, mm. and um, so so we kind of uh, looked often at the future of work and productivity. And there's some companies doing some very, very cool stuff. But for the most part, you don't even, no one's even heard of them because we're still struggling to kind of embrace these these challenges or, or new entrants versus just feeding incumbency, which is a shame. Right. Well, we've been talking about what's wrong uh, with companies and how they suck. You've identified four pillars to delay or or put off the suck, so to speak. Can you tell us about each of those? Uh, I, of course I will. And, you know, the, uh, bef- before I even introduce these four uh, uh, pillars, I talk about this idea of embracing your heresy, mm. which is probably the best chapter I've ever written of all five of my books. And it's, it's just such a tremendously strong idea that says you have to kind of, uh, as Rashad Tabakawala would say, you have to call out the turd on the table um, in order to uh, recognize and pivot around that. And, you know, without being able to accept or even identify a problem, you know, companies are living in denial. And so these four pillars, digital disruption, talent resurrection, customer obsession, and corporate citizenship really deal with, I mean, I think digital disruption is self-explanatory, as is customer obsession. Talent resurrection uh, is all about employee engagement, and I'll come back to that in a second. And then corporate citizenship is uh, some very strong points of view on 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 cause and cause-related and purpose uh, and companies having a soul. So I'll touch on each one very briefly. Digital disruption, the message there is, a big part of that is about collaboration with startups and entrepreneurs. But but the essence of it is that we have we have become so predictable and so vanilla when it comes to digital. Digital oil. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This was, was meant to disrupt and absolutely turn business models on their on their heads and and i would say to companies if you are not being truly disruptive through digital and of course digital is digital social mobile emerging technology then you, then you're just trying to teach an old dog old tricks not even new tricks the talent resurrection component is very simple i mean if you yes we're probably all going to be replaced by machines at some point uh, and we might already have been. This might be the matrix. I don't know. <laughs> but until that day happens where AI kind of takes over, we've got to, if we cannot attract and retain the best and the brightest, we're dead on arrival. And no younger, certainly, um, you know, talent wants to work for these large legacy corporations anymore, or at least not the way they used to. And even if they do, they're not going to stick around for that, you know, as I say in the book. They don't want a gold Rolex from you. Maybe a gold Apple Watch, but not a gold Rolex. Um, mm-hmm. I, I also take that one step further, and I actually use the, uh, this, this challenge, which is ban the employee. We should stop calling our talent employees. They are partners. They are guests. They are, you know, they are uh, you know, barristers. You, you know, Disney has names for them. We, we've got to be able, team members, we've got to be able to not just embrace them culturally, but also turn them into entrepreneurs. The third element, customer obsession, I actually say we we should stop using the phrase customer service, customer experience, even customer centricity. We truly have to be obsessed. And it is the one mandatory pillar. Even if the other three are, um, you know, even if you totally blow the three out the water and and don't deliver on customer obsession, I I think failure is almost inevitable. And then finally, corporate citizenship. And, and I introduced a concept in the book called Mirror and Glass, which is which ironically, you know, Jim Collins talks about mirror and glass, but in a different way, in, a, uh, in an opposite way, but not a, necessarily um, a contradictory way. But my whole point is if we are living, we're living in a world of glass, whether it's glass door, whether it's going to a restaurant and seeing your food being cooked through the glass, full transparency is the only way to do business today. And everything about brands and branding and, and advertising is all about opacity. It's all image advertising. Brands are not real. Branding is not real. Brand advertising is not real. It is a manipulated, often photoshopped or retouched image of, of a utopian scenario that is not mirrored inside the company. And so that's why companies need to be able to exist in this complete, naked, uh, and honest transparency. And and there are companies that are doing things like that, whether it's CVS saying they're not going to sell cigarettes anymore, whether it's Patagonia, uh, where, where they've adjusted their mission statement to indicate that their mission is to save the planet mm. from, from us, right, from ourselves. Right. Um, we see companies, Nike, we see companies that truly have embraced uh, glass versus mirror. And, um, and I feel that those four pillars, I mean, again, right now, if you are a marketer out there, how would you deliver against those four pillars? I'm sure I pretty much know how you score against the four horsemen, which is zero. But, but these four pillars are certainly, a- and the ability to embrace your heresy, which means are you prepared to put yourself out of business are you prepared to fire yourself? Uh, what would happen if you cut your paid media uh, to zero? I actually came up with a new one a few weeks ago, which is that there should be term limits on corporations. <laughs> that when a corporation actually gets to a certain age, it, it, it has to split up or, or reboot or pivot 
or or just close down. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, good luck trying to see the first company to do that. But then again, you know, we've seen IBM move from right. big blue to big data, mm-hmm. right? From mainframes to AI. So it is possible. Right. Well, I think those four pillars, uh, um, they're fascinating and thought-provoking for sure. Um, and I know you you also get very practical and provide this, what's called a survival planning canvas um, as a method or a framework to start thinking about your survival as a company and a corporation. Tell us a little bit about what that is. I know it's kind of hard. We, this is an audio format versus a visual format, but I'd love you just to describe what, what it is and, and what it's intent, intended to do for you. Yeah, so so for for people that are familiar with um, within the startup world, there is the very famous uh, lean yep. startup or business plan canvas, and I kind of took that template and, and and the spirit of that and developed what I call the survival planning canvas. So the the survival planning canvas, in a nutshell, is designed to create a survival to thrival um, roadmap and. Um, and by the way, your listeners can obviously. Okay. I hope they'll buy the book, um, and it's in the book. There, there's a survival planning canvas, and then a startup uh, plan, a canvas, and then I've also filled it out for uh, uh, an overactive bladder syndrome drug called Mirbatric, and I filled it out mm-hmm. for Budweiser. Um, ironically, both have P common themes of pee, I suppose, if you drink too much beer. But but you can actually uh, your listeners can. Uh, even if they don't buy the book, they can probably, uh, not probably, they can download it for free uh, on builttosuck.com. Imagine uh, that the canvas is divided into two halves. The top half is a little bit more traditional and conventional. It has a very nautical theme, which is obviously consistent with, with me being the admiral of the HMS Beagle. But you have headwinds and tailwinds, which is your SWAT. Uh, you have North Star, which are values, and with a different spin because these have to be newer values, values that represent change and innovation, as well as legacy and uh, and roots. And then there's a three-dimensional way to look at competitive. Most people just think of competitive either one-dimensionally. These are competitor set. You know, you look at those uh, that chart that has like everyone compared with X's. Uh, against criteria. You have like a two-dimensional one that sometimes uses a perceptual map, but this is a three-dimensional one that looks at what I would call incumbents, challenges, and incubators. So old God, new God, next God, because it's really important to identify who is the competitor that will put you out of business and do they even exist yet? And certainly when we think about, you know, Dollar Shave uh, and and Harry's right. relative to Gillette, P&G and Gillette probably would have would have benefited from doing this exercise a few years back. Now, at the bottom of the fold uh, or of the page are what, what I call walk the plank and discover new worlds. So walk the plank literally says, are you prepared to put yourself out of business? If you were to start a competing product or brand right now, uh, that would be a killer that would kill your brand what would it be? What would it look like? How would it work? And then the message there is, if that's such a good idea, why wouldn't you do it yourself? And what are the odds mm-hmm. someone isn't doing it right now? And then on the Discover New Worlds, that breaks into two kind of exercises. One that says, if you could do it all over again, how would you start your business? Or if you had a magic wand and or a limit, you know, an uh, 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 unlimited checkbook, if you were running the show, what changes would you affect today? And why aren't you doing them? And then the final one is looking at all of these new business models, direct-to-consumer business models, subscription, philanthropy, what I call temporonomics, which is this idea of pay with your money or your time. You know, if anyone's played Candy Crush or Clash of Clans, all these games, you notice that these are all billion-dollar companies now um, that have basically all used the same business model, which is download for free, and then if you want to gem up or you want to, you know, kind of get power-ups or whatever they call it, you either watch a video, so you give permission essentially to – it's not even interruption anymore because um, you elected it, or you pay. And so micropayments, I think, is another interesting business model. <clears throat> and so by doing this uh, and filling out this canvas, and there are a few other supporting exercises like developing the survival instinct – it creates that roadmap 
to change and, and evolution. And, you know, I just want to add one other thing, which is that when I say we're all in the survival business, a lot of companies get a bit scared. <clears throat> a lot of CMOs are kind of, I mean, I, I just had a CMO recently said, I, I've just read four <laughs> chapters of your book and I'm fearing for my job. And I said, good. I mean, if that helps you change, that's a good thing. But survival is a gift. Every day when we wake up in the morning and we're alive, we've been given another chance to basically right the wrongs or to finally get it right this time. And I really want companies to realize that survival is not, it's not a right. It's not guaranteed. It is a privilege. And we have to, if we want it to be a right, we have to earn the right to survive and then thrive. It is a means to an end. And that end is thrival or growth. And so for companies to kind of be able to go on this journey, fill out this canvas and go through this process, they have to be a little bit uh, vulnerable, a little bit naked, a little bit honest, if not with everyone else, with themselves, um, that they are far from perfect, that there is a lot of change needed and they need to change. Well, we have a ton of CMOs and marketing leaders listening to this podcast. Um, What would you tell them to do right now? What should they, and, and maybe additionally, what should they stop doing? I mean, it's, it's, um, right. <laughs> you know, I, I want to be snarky and just tell them to update their resumes, but I won't. Um, no, I, look, I would say you have to be a defender and a protector of marketing. You have to elevate marketing's role. Um, you've got to be able to, to aspire to, to a board seat. Spencer Stewart uh, did a study and uh, what they released was that there are only only 26 of the thousands of public company board seats are currently occupied by marketing leaders. Uh, I saw another study that said only 2.6% of board members have marketing experience at all. So so that's part of the advice. Um, You know, I would say... I mean, certainly to deliver against those four pillars, but but I actually will give an almost contradictory piece of advice, which is you need to oppose change in order to promote change. And what I mean by that is when a new CMO comes aboard or a new CEO comes aboard, what do they do? They immediately put a moratorium on all change in a in a. And, and, and what they do, but that's in a bad way. So this is a proposal that actually might be about to be approved. Right. And they say, no, no, put that on the back burner. We're going to now do our tour de force. We're going to visit with all of our offices around the world. We're going to do our own audit. But at the end of the day, all that happens is that they fire the agency They fire all the people that were associated with the outgoing CEO or CMO, fruit of the poisonous tree. And then they bring in their, they bring in their cronies that they've worked with before and they, and they go on a new agency search. It makes no sense. So they'll take about nine to 12 months just to be able to essentially weed out all of um, the, the existing uh, baggage for them to bring in their great people. And it becomes a continuous, vicious cycle. So my message is you need to uh, not feel the urge or the instinct to change everything. Let everything take its course. Evaluate these projects and initiatives and people on their own merits as if it was day one. Then and only then you need to be able to change and change quickly and change fast. So if that makes no sense, if that makes sense, great. Uh, maybe a different way to, to phrase it is you've got to be able to take one step back to move two steps forward. Um, and it is very consistent. You know, you're asking for advice. Um, I came up with a two by two matrix in the book, a very simple one that says best of the old, worst of the old, best of the new, worst of the new. And the message is reject the worst of the old and reject the worst of the new, all of the, the nice to haves and the bright and shiny objects. Instead, keep the best of the old and 
embrace the best of the new. And it's a very, very simple optimization strategy, which is you take the money from the worst of the old and you invest it in the best of the new. It sounds almost oversimplified, but it is one of the easiest ways for marketers to actually take stock and and account for um, a continuously changing, shifting uh, shifting landscape. So CMOs have, have, have got to recognize that there isn't a one-size-fits-all. There's no mutually exclusive approach. The four pillars, yes. Embracing your heresy, yes. Filling out the canvas and being prepared to put yourself out of business, yes. Elevating marketing to defend and protect marketing, no doubt. Um, But ultimately, the buck is going to stop with them. And so a modern-day CMO has to be a chief growth officer. I truly, truly believe that. If they are not attached to the growth of the corporation, all they're doing is basically coming up with a new real-time tweet or, uh, you know, if we want to go back to the analogy of, of ships rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, um, I, I would love to continue forever talking about marketing, but, um, and we will talk a little bit more about marketing, but I want to switch gears. I, I, I love asking a series of questions to all the guests that come on just to get to know you a little bit better. The listeners know you as, as humans, um, not just as uh, people that have a great point of view or perspective to share. So in that vein, um, this question that I love asking is, you know, is there an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? I mean, I, I would say probably the three most significant things in, in my life, uh, one of which is work, is really work-related to a personal. I mean, my experience at Nando's was an incredible experience because, because I got to, at the age of 22, 23, um, work closely with the founder of the company and, uh, and see marketing, you know, as Regis McKenna once said, marketing is everything. I got to experience marketing the way it should uh, have been practiced. And for that reason, in a way, it spoiled me and, 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 and tarnished me because that's the only way I look at it now. I would say on a personal level, uh, the first was probably loss. I lost uh, my dad when I was very young, when I was four years old. And, uh, and so, you know, my, 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 you know, my true role model, sorry, Philip Kotler, uh, would have to be my mother and, uh, and, and her growing Growing up with her uh, as both, you know, both parents at the same time, but also seeing how how much she accomplished as an entrepreneur, I would say I can see now where that entrepreneurial flair come, flair comes uh, or, or love comes from. Um, and then the third, I'd say, is uh, immigration. I moved here twenty three years ago, twenty two, twenty three years ago, and um, you know, becoming a citizen. How can you not be changed and affected um, when you kind of move uh, from your homeland uh, to a new land and become part of that culture um, and embrace that culture with, but still kind of retain um, your heritage and history? So I would say probably between those three major, you know, kind of life events, um, it's kind of shaped me into who I am today. Uh, thank you for sharing, especially uh, um, you know the, about the loss of your dad and the influence of your mother. I appreciate that. Uh, I have one question about Nando's. I, I, that's a really weird segue. I realize, but I have a question about it. Do you, do you know if they have a Nando's in London by chance? Well, not only do they, not only do they have, um, but okay. I would say the the UK is probably their most successful country now. Um, okay. Um, you, I have eaten. I've eaten at one. I, it, the more you described it earlier, I was like, I've I've been in a chicken and spicy sauce place. Well, actually, um, actually, they're they're rolling out um, across America at the moment. So um, okay. there's one on Michigan Avenue in in Chicago that I bumped into, mm-hmm. um, and they they started kind of um, in the DC uh, Maryland uh, area. So um, yeah. you can probably find out where your nearest Nando's store is. All right. No, yeah, it was great. It was great in the food. I'm pretty sure I had it in London, but uh, but yeah, I've, I've got to find it again for sure. Um, well, transitioning a little bit, what advice would you give your younger self if you were starting all over that uh, boy, so to speak, in South Africa? 
I mean, I, I, I think there, um, there's probably one piece of advice, two pieces of advice. Um, and, uh, um, and the second one I think is, is universal to, to any conversation. The first is it's never too late. You know, so it's like this idea of saying, you know, when you're 22, you feel like, oh, you've missed a boat. And when you're 32, you feel like you've missed a boat. And when you're 42, you go, if only I'd known then what I know now. Um, as, as God made little green apples, you know, in 10 years' time, uh, you could be asking me the same question about, about today. Um, and, uh, and that person in 10 years' time is either going to say, you know, I'm glad I took the advice, or I'm glad I, I went for it, or yet again, I missed the boat, you know, in a sense. And so, you know, we all look at it and we go, if only I'd invested in Facebook, if only I'd invested in Google, if only I'd taken that Amazon job. But it's, but there will be another wave of companies, of disruptors, of growth, uh, of scale-ups or startups, etc. So we just, life is so fluid and, um it's just important to recognize that there is truly no finish line. Um, the, you know, the, the other analogies, the goalposts continue to shift. So make the most of, of today, right? If you think about that message on survival, which is just being able to, <laughs> to, to wake up tomorrow uh, gives you another shot, gives you another right. opportunity to say, uh, I'm going for it. And then the other thing I would say is, and I've always, I say this to my daughter now, she's on her way, off, uh, on her way going to college, but even going through the whole uh, college application process, um, for me, it's all about choice. And when you have choice in your life, you are in the driver's seat. You are uh, in control. And as you get older, that choice starts to whittle away and dwindle to the point where you don't have a choice. You can't choose to cash out. You can't uh, choose to say, I, you know, um, uh, I can choose any job I want or any industry I want. You can't really go back to school. Um, although maybe you can based on the first thing I said. So, you know, but, but, but generally those people are exceptions, right? right. They, they always said the word, you know, the word accept is in the word exceptional, you can't be exceptional by being like everyone else. But if you if you kind of triangulate those two things, you know, one is this idea of, you know, just do it, right? Go for it. Right. Um, but always try and make sure that you have choice because the moment that you are backed in a corner and you have no alternative, um, that's when your fate is no longer in your hands. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, and I do want to emphasize that point again. I don't care whether you're 27 or 67, just make sure you have choice. Love it. Well, what fuels you? What keeps you going? I mean, for me, it's like I uh, I love this stuff. You know, I love uh, <laughs> I love creativity. Um, you know, I love innovation. I love disruption. These are not just words for me. Um, I um, I love breaking things and and trying to you know put them together again even better. Um, I love speaking, uh, teaching, um, inspiring. This to me is my my life force. I always say you have to embrace your life force, um, and if you do, um, then you know there's that book, "Love What You Do and the Rest Will Follow." So for me, when I'm conducting a workshop, when I'm training, when I'm giving a keynote speech, even this podcast right now, this is my happy place, um, <laughs> and it and it and it drives me because you know. The, I was very connected with this idea. It's very Steve Jobsian, right? How do you make a dent on the universe, um, no matter how small or insignificant you think it is? Um, that is our purpose and our mission in life, personally and, profes and professionally. That's that's what drives me, right? Which is to make my mark. If I can, you know, even the flip funnel, uh, uh, to know that that book is in many colleges and it's part of the required reading. Um, I actually just wrote and, and taught a course uh, uh, at West Virginia University. So I, I'm, you know, I can now, at least I'm not officially a professor, but my students mm -hmm. called me professor and I didn't correct them. Um, so for me, when you are in a, um, you know, when somebody comes up to me, uh, Alan, and says, I've ch and it's happened so often, they tell me they quit their job and, and pursued their dream or um, they changed their careers um, from reading a book of mine or listening to me. Um, it's scary as hell, 
because you don't want them to you want them to succeed but generally i haven't had anyone come up to me ever to say i did the things that you recommended and i regret them um and so if you can impact anyone's life it, it is just so special and so uh powerful uh, and it just fuels me to keep going i love that i love it well i want to end on two i guess more a little bit more marketing related questions um most people like us and us mean and include marketers um, are kind of students of what's going on in the world around us or, or should be. And so I'm curious if there's any brands or companies or causes that you follow or you think other people should be taking notice of. So, you know, one of the, I'll, I'll give you a, 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 a snarky response to yeah. a different question, which is people always say like, Joe, who's doing it right? Mm. Um, and, and my answer is, um, why do you care? Like, because, because first of all, I, I could like literally hand you their brand strategy, you know, on a silver platter and you still wouldn't be able to emulate them yes. or copy them. Yeah. So, you know, the analogy I use is you've got to be a golfer. You've got to put your head down and you've got to play every shot as if it was your only shot. You know, just focus on the next shot. Occasionally, you're going to hear uh, the crowd cheering from a gallery from, uh, and maybe someone, you know, sunk a hole in one. Um, but don't be distracted by it. Just play your game and keep your head down. You know, that said, the <clears throat> the companies, and, and I talk about this in the book, you know, the Apples, Amazons, Nikes, Netflixes, Starbucks, it feels like like boring, the usual suspects. But But I talk about why. I really go into detail as to why these companies are exceptional and have led. Uh, and then in terms of newer companies, I just love all the DTC companies. Mm-hmm. Um I actually had the pleasure, real pleasure, bucket list for me. Um, I professionally, I'm very lucky. I've written a book. I've, you know, become a lecturer or, or created a course, and I got to present to like 25 of the leading DTC companies um, in in the US, mm-hmm. uh, and pretty much you name the company, I presented to them, um, <laughs> and and. and I cannot confirm if they were in the room, but one company I really love what they've built is Peloton. Um, I just, you know, it is just so perfect and so sublime. And of course, everyone's trying to copy them now. Um, But, um, you know, the real question for Peloton is, um, are they so far ahead that no one will catch up? Um, And the second point would be, don't ever uh, take that advice um, because number one, it's a stationary bike. So everyone will catch up. Uh, and number two, again, the moving target. So right. there's going to be a lot of imitation, but I love, I mean, no one should ever need to go to a gym again. And if you've been following what's been happening in the news, yeah. um, Cycle, you know, with, uh, yeah. with SoulCycle and, and Equinox, um, both of which are trying to copy Peloton, um, they might just be losing more and more customers now because of their, uh, because of the boycott, mm. if you will, um, uh, because of their political leanings. Um, so, you know, you know, contrast that with what happened with Starbucks when they had their an incident where, right. you know, two African-American men were arrested mm. um, and, you know, for no reason. And Starbucks basically shut down all of their stores for half a day. Um, that's one of the heresies, right, which is are you prepared – to leave money on the table. Um, And they conducted company-wide and country-wide sensitivity training. You just don't see that kind of commitment from all of these companies that suck. And so that's why I I am happy to mention all of the usual suspects with a couple of new players like Peloton too. Mm. Yeah. Well, and actually their head of marketing, Carolyn Tish Blodgett, she's been on the show before. So... Um, early on, I think, um, maybe two years ago at this point. So I, I've watched them too. They're they're a fascinating company, and they keep they keep innovating. They keep pushing pushing further out from from uh, from where they started too. So it's interesting to watch. Last question for you: um, What do you think the future of marketing is going to look like? Well, you know the, the future of the future of marketing. I, I often joke and I say, Have you read that new book, The Future of Advertising? Uh, and other short stories. Um, <laughs> it's, it's actually a bunch of limericks um, or haikus. No, I mean, look, the future of marketing, uh, there will not be a future if we don't, um, you know, pull up our socks and and play our, our 
a you know a plus game um, if we don't elevate um, and attach ourselves to the strategic and business agenda of the corporation, um, and if we are not truly uh, growth officers. Um, so you know, there's a reason why marketing has become a bit of a laughing stock, or why marketing has no seats at the boardroom, um, or why people just associate marketing with advertising or or communications. It's because we haven't proven uh, marketing's role and value and ability to be a game changer with all of these other P's, if you if you want to use the four P's um, and and other aspects that are mission critical. And so I think. This is a, a great time to be alive. It's a great time to be a marketer, but it is also a very scary time uh, to be a marketer. And we're going to see um, the winners separated from the losers based on those that are able um, to make bolder moves um, and um, you know make sure that the company is growing for the right reasons. We see um, today, if you look at the whole CPG industry, the only way these companies are growing is through acquisition. That's what I call fake growth or artificial growth or bought growth through M&A, um, through private equity companies taking over. Look at the debacle that is Kraft Heinz oh, okay. yeah. at the moment. What a yeah. mess. And it, and, it, and it is a story that you could, have, you could have told or foretold right at the beginning and it will keep on happening. Sorry to say, but when private equity gets involved and zero-based budgeting, and it's all about cost-cutting and efficiencies, um, and people are being let go. It is, you know, it is a broken record. And so, if a marketer wants to kind of, you know, buck that trend, um, they've got to be able to, you know, as I said, um, uh, reframe the entire conversation. Uh, and that doesn't mean um, not being accountable. It's the exact opposite. They need to be accountable, but accountable to the right indicators, the right timeframes, um, the right um, you know constituents um, for the right reasons. I agree. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Joseph. Hey, welcome. I, I've I've loved it, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. 